Uh, we had the young people sing early in our service so that they could head off to class. We normally would have a special, give you an opportunity to sit and settle in and, and get ready for the message. Uh, but uh, we're going to jump right into it. If you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 27, Matthew 27 this morning, that's where we will begin. Uh, there are many new babies in our church, uh, lots of youth, uh, very exciting. I, I think for the uh, ladies' retreat, there was 13 or 14 kids in the nursery, and I think seven of those were under the age of one. Uh, and so many new births, many new babies. And, and you know, new births and, and new children it brings exciting times and the, the days of those kids, as they begin to grow, uh, you know, they, you'll hear parents begin to talk about the first, the many firsts that come about, you know, and excited about the first time he rolled over all by himself and, and the, the first steps that they take. And, uh, of course, the first words that they say, and we know, of course, that's dada, right? The first words are always dada, right? Uh, you know, that's where mom's hoping it's mama and, and dad's hoping it's dada and, and uh, grandma and grandpa are saying papa and nana and just trying to get him to say one. He said, he said me first, you know, uh, and those first words, they're, they're precious. And, and we look at those times with excitement. But as much as we look at those times with excitement, we also uh, value and have come to uh, really um, put great meaning on last words. On the words that after a lifetime of experience, when someone has the opportunity to express themselves before their home going, oftentimes those words are written down, they're recorded, they're remembered and they're repeated because the significance of what would a man express given the chance or the opportunity to say something after a lifetime of lessons learned and experiences lived, what is it he would say with his last words? I would like to preach to you this morning a message entitled Famous Last Words. Famous Last Words. And I don't mean that in the way that my mom used to say it <laughs> when... Uh, when I would tell her something I was planning to do, and I would say, oh, it'll be okay, and she's like, yeah, famous last words. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like a good idea at the time, right? Uh, yeah, or watch this. Yeah, famous last words, uh, for sure. I don't mean it like that. I mean words that are of meaning and significance. There are, in the Word of God, recorded for us many uh, men and women, and our, their last words are shared with us. I would like to just look at three of them this morning. We're going to first look at the words of Judas. We're going to look at the words of David. And we're going to look at the words of Christ. The last words of these famous people. And hopefully learn some lessons that we might even now, as we're still living, be adequately prepared and ready for when we reach that point. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we ask God to bless as we get into this message, Famous Last Words. Lord, we thank you for your book. We thank you this morning for the lessons that are there and how 
It's ever new. It's fresh. It's, it's powerful. It challenges us spiritually and strengthens us to live the lives which you've called us to live. Lord, it gives us, as you've promised, uh, Lord, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you for the word of God this morning. And I pray that we would be edified and strengthened because of the truths that are found there. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. First of all, in Matthew chapter 27, verse number 3, through uh, verse number 4, we, well, we'll read through verse number 5, we see Judas and his last words. I would like you to see or notice that these words of Judas were words of contrition. He said in verse number 3, Then Judas, when he had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Here at the conclusion of Judas's life, at the end of his days, when he was literally on the brink of ending it all, he said, I have sinned that I have betrayed the innocent blood. I want you to understand, beloved, that Judas was like any other man. He was like any other young man as a Young person, I'm sure his life was filled with aspirations and goals. He had things that he wanted to accomplish. He had dreams and visions of grandeur and all that he would do in his life. Certainly he had no expectation or never thought that he would bring his own life to an end out of regret for something that he had done. We're told, or historians believe, that Judas was probably pointed to Christ by John the Baptist. That he was present and heard John the Baptist preach and heard the message. And you, of course, know the message of John the Baptist. There's one that cometh after me whose shoes I am not worthy to to bear. He preached, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And there was something in the heart of Judas as he saw this message preached and he beheld that man, that man named Jesus. And I don't know if it was the excitement of everything that was there or being able to be a part of the miracles or or what it was, but there was something that drew Judas to Jesus. Judas wanted to be around that. He wanted to be present and be a part of what was happening in he made himself available. Can you imagine the, the shock on Judas's mind and in his life when actually Jesus called him to be among the 12? When he said, hey, you're going to come and you're going to travel with me and you're going to be part of the group and we're going to preach Jesus. We're going to heal the lame and cause the blind to see. And oh, I can imagine his excitement and his thrill as he walked the streets with Jesus and was part of these great and magnificent miracles and his life full of all the the grandeur and vision of what it could be. 
Oh, but we know by the testimony of Christ that although Judas professed Christ, he didn't possess him. And although he walked with Jesus and he stood in the temple or he sat in church, if you will, that he didn't know Jesus, that he had never repented of his sin and put his faith and trust in Christ. He wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to be around it. He enjoyed the excitement and he saw what Jesus could do for others. But he was never ready to repent himself. We know that Christ tells us that about him, that the one that's going to betray me, it'd be better if he were never born, he said. He walked with Christ, but didn't believe on Christ. You know that he was even put in charge of the books, given a responsibility. Beloved, I don't know, we don't know today if it was his desire for gain that caused him to betray Christ. Ultimately, he threw the 30 pieces of silver down. So he didn't get to keep that. He didn't, that didn't mean anything to him in the end. You know what? This world's gain is not going to mean anything in the end. It's not going to mean anything. We don't know of his desire for gain, or maybe he was disappointed, maybe in his heart and mind, uh, as we were learning in Sunday school this morning, that there was a misconception concerning Christ uh, coming. They, they thought he was going to set up his kingdom then, and, and he was ready for that. Maybe that's what he wanted to see, and when he found out Jesus wasn't going to do that, he was upset and offended and thought, well, if he's not doing that, then I'm not going to be part of it. We don't know exactly what his motivation was, what exactly caused him to betray Christ. But whatever it was, we see that he regretted it. And he was gripped with great remorse. His heart was heavy with the weight of humiliation, having done wrong, and gripped with the guilt of betraying Jesus. Living with this regret, he goes out and hangs himself. Can I say to you this morning, it's not a matter of how you start, it's how you finish. The lesson that I want you to learn this morning, beloved, is with regards to these last words, is the regret that was expressed, the contrition that he felt. And the question I have for you is when that day comes, when that time comes and you get to the end of your life, should you have opportunity to express something I pray and hope it wouldn't be regret. Darwin, the proponent of the lie of evolution, on his deathbed is recorded to have said, I have based my life on a lie. In the end, great regret. Beloved, here's the thing. If you want to reach the end of your days and be able to do so without great regret, then you need to do something about it today. You are still living. You still have the opportunity. You still have the chance to, to make a change. And you could say, oh, I, at the end, if you get to the place and you say, boy, I wish I would have had a better relationship with my kids. Or, oh, I wish I would have loved my mate more deeply or at least expressed it or showed it. Hey, you can do that today. 
You're still alive today. You don't have to wait till you get to the end and express a bunch of regret for the things that you didn't do for your Lord and Savior. You can begin doing those things now. You can say, oh, I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have. But, beloved, you still can. Don't reach the end and have just a bunch of regrets to express, but reach the end and know that you did your best for Jesus. The author of that very famous book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, he teaches in that book one of the habits of somebody that's going to be successful is to begin with the end in mind. That's a habit. He says, picture the end. He actually, in his book, literally tells people to write their own epitaph. Write down what you want to be remembered for, what you want somebody to say about you. Write down the vision of what will be said at the end and then live to fulfill it. That's the thing. We want to reach the end and not have regret. We've got to make some changes now. Beloved, the joy of serving a a Savior that is a God of second chances is that it doesn't matter what you did yesterday. You can be forgiven today. And you can go forward from here. Oh, we know the Apostle Paul says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Maybe there's some things in your life, beloved, you need to get under the blood of Jesus Christ, and you need to forget, you need to let go. But then from here on, live with the end in view. So you don't have some last words of regret. Winston Churchill said, success is never final. And failure is never fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. You can get up again. You can continue moving forward. You can make a change today. You are still living. You still have the chance and the opportunity. Would you turn to 1 Kings? 1 Kings chapter number 2. This is back towards the Beginning of the Old Testament, work your way back that way. You got first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. If you get into those, you know you're in the right area. First Kings chapter number two, where we find the words of David. I want you to see the words of David. These were words of charge. He leaves a charge to his son. He challenges him. We see in 1 Kings chapter number 2, verses 1 through 3, he says, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. David, beloved, knew his life was coming to an end. His days of affecting the life of his child were coming to a close and he takes the opportunity 
I suppose as any of us would if we knew that time was close. I had the privilege of seeing my three that were in college last week for just a few hours, took them out to dinner. And as I said goodbye to each of them at different times, I, I gave them some words of advice. A little charge to do right. A little charge to, to stay faithful. A little charge to don't let the devil, devil discourage you. You just keep doing what God wants you to do and he'll see you through. Just gave them a little, a little charge, a little, a little, hey, I don't know when I'll see you again, so let me tell you that you're on the winning side and that God is with you and that you can be victorious. And listen, I know it's going to get hard and you're going to get tired and you're going to be discouraged. You're not going to feel like going to class and, and the chapel messages are all preached right at you, but you just keep doing what God wants you to do. Just a little charge. David, coming to the end of his life, he charged his son. Gave him some instructions, some things that he should do. A newspaper columnist, Abigail Van Buren, wrote, If you want your children to keep their feet on the ground, put some responsibility on their shoulders. If you want your children to keep their feet on the ground, put some responsibility on their shoulders. Well, David places some responsibility squarely on the shoulders of his son here. He charges him, first of all, to stand like a man. He says, stand up and show thyself a man. Be a man. Can I encourage you this morning? Can I just tell you that this movement in society today where we are turning the men into pansies, taking away their, their manhood, and, and it's, it's, it's mind-boggling how they are glorifying the effeminate man. He is clapped and applauded. Oh, don't do that. That's not nice. Oh, it's so good to see you guys today. Yeah, he, he's clapped and applauded. The more feminine he is, the less assertive he is, the more he's lifted up in today's society. David gave a challenge to his son and says, stand up and be a man. He says, be strong. Be, be a man. And we need men today. We need men who will stand up and be men. It may not be popular in society. You're not going to receive any accolades and nobody's going to put you on a news program and, and, and you aren't going to make any hot TikTok videos being a man. But God will be pleased. I watched a video this week of a, of a prominent, very famous worship team leader from one of the large... Seeker-sensitive churches in our country that felt that he had to put this video out because he had received criticism because he paints his nails like a woman. Listen, women paint their nails. Guys don't paint their nails. Guys don't get manicures and pedicures. 
You need, you need to get a job if you're, if you're getting a manicure and a pedicure. Right. I'm a job where you work. Right. A man ought to be able... I'm not saying you've got to be a bodybuilder. But if you're over 11 years old, you ought to be able to roll a wheelbarrow full of dirt. You ought to be able to at least pick up a wheelbarrow full of dirt. You ought to be able to know how to use a shovel. I had a teenager ask me one time, what's a postal digger? I said, come here. You need, you need, you need some education. I mean, you just ought to be able to work. You're, you're a man, and, and, and although society is pushing away from this, let me encourage you, young men, don't buy into that. Stand up and be strong. Stand up and be a man. Stand up and be what God has made you to be. This thing of parents dressing their little boys up in dresses. It's wicked. Saying, oh, they haven't decided what they want to be. You know what? They don't get a choice. Their choice was made for them by God, the creator, the one who breathed the breath of life into man. Be strong. Proverbs 20, 29 says the glory of a young man is his strength. doesn't hate to t- hesitate to tell him listen Solomon you need to be strong that word show there show thyself a man it, it means to become or to make it happen to make it happen you know that kind of get her done kind of spirit that just don't make excuses just get her done just make it happen that's what a man does He doesn't just charge him to be a man, but I want you to see how important the second aspect is. He he charges him, first of all, to stand as a man, but he also charges him to stay by the statutes. He says in number three there, he says, and keep the charge of the Lord. He says, not just the charge that I've given you, son, but this is a charge that God has given you. Keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies. He charges him to follow the book. Now, I want to take a couple minutes and apply this to us. We're looking at the last words of David as he charged his son Solomon. We want to reach the end of our days and we don't want to have any regrets. We don't want to have to to have words of contrition. I hope that we would have in our hearts the desire to charge and challenge the next generation coming after us. But can I tell you, beloved, if you're going to charge the next generation, then you need to know the statutes. You can't charge them to follow and fulfill and do that which you don't know anything about. Are you in the book? Are you learning the book? Are you following the statutes? You can't charge somebody very effectively to do that which you're not doing. How many of your parents have found it effective to tell their children, don't do what I do, do what I, do what I say? My best friend growing up, 
was a young man, little Spanish fella. As a teenager, he was always about to right here on me. That's about how tall he was. His name was Jaime. We were best friends. His dad was a drunk. About every four, five, six months, they had to move to a new house because he drank all their pay and, and they were getting evicted again. And we ended up leaving El Paso. His mom and dad and five kids living in a house smaller than Brother Joe's, which is about 500 square feet is what their house is, which is smaller than our living room. <laughs> but they were all sleeping in there on the floor because he couldn't stay sober. And I can't tell you how many times in the house there, Hector would look at his son and he'd say, don't ever let me catch you drinking this stuff. Well, you know what Jaime did? He, he took alcohol out of his dad's closet and drank it. It's not very effective for you to try and tell people, do this when, when we're not doing it. When we're not living it. What I'm saying is if we're going to get to the place in our life where we want to leave a charge to the next generation, maybe I could ask it like this. Is your life in and of itself stand as a charge to the next generation? Just this last week on Thursday night, I shared a story about my father where somebody I hadn't ever met in my life and was never in one of my dad's churches, not anybody that he had an opportunity to minister to directly. But one time, my dad heard that this man's son was in the hospital and was probably going to die. And it was several hours drive from where my dad was. And my dad drove to that hospital that night and spent the night with him in the hospital. And I sat there thinking... Dad, you're making it harder to live up to what you are. It's getting, you're, you're setting the bar too high, Dad. I, 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 you're challenging me. But I wonder, beloved, if my life is a challenge to my kids. If they look at Dad and say, well, if Dad can do it, I can do it. If Dad's going to stay faithful, I'll stay faithful. Dad's still following the book, I'll follow the book. If Dad's still soul winning, I'll reach souls. If Dad still loves Jesus, then I'm still going to love Jesus. But beloved, I don't want to be the one. I don't want to be the reason that my kids look and say, well, Dad quit, so I'm quitting. If I've got no other responsibility to anybody else in this room, I've got a responsibility to the five that God gave me in my home. That they would look at and say, you, you may look at me and say, hey, as far as I'm concerned, you're a failure as a pastor, but you're not the one I'm trying to please. You're not the one I'm setting the example for. I've got a God in heaven that I've got to please. He's the one I need to make happy. And I've got five kids coming after me that I've got to be faithful that they won't have an excuse in me. I hope that you in your life say, I don't ever want to be the reason my kid picks up a drink and turns into a drunk. I don't ever want to be the reason that my kid denies and walks away from God. I'm not going to be the one that sets that example for them. If you reach the end of your days and have still been faithful to God, you can stand, you can sit, you can lay however it is. You have opportunity to share with them and say, kids, I can tell you, although the days are long and times are hard, if you'll just be faithful... God is real. And the God that is worth living for 
is a God that's worth dying for. I heard a quote this week that I wrote in my Bible. A man who was on the edge of death. Dr. Tim Green. You guys recognize that name? Oh, you guys read the uh, Baptist Bread? Okay, he's the editor of that. Writes many, many of the devotionals. Tim Green looked at him and said, are you doing all right? And he said, a man whose heart is in heaven doesn't mind if his feet are in the grave. A man whose heart is in heaven doesn't mind if his feet are in the grave. Beloved, is your life a charge to the next generation? Will you have authority in your voice when you reach the end to be able to give a charge to those that are coming after you? But I show you, lastly this morning, the words of Christ. Turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. These are familiar words. But I want you to see these words of Christ are words of completion. They're words of completion. We don't want to reach the end of our days and have to express contrition for all the regrets for how we lived. I hope we stay faithful and accomplish and do what God wants us to do that we might be able to leave a charge to the next generation. But I pray, God, we reach the end of our days and we may be able to be like Christ and have words of completion. In John chapter 19, look down in verse number 28 through verse 30. He says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all these things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon his sup, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The last words of Christ declared for us, beloved, that the work that God had given to him was done. He said, it is finished. This statement has significant meaning For Christ finished the work that was given to him by the Father, the work of redemption that provided for you and I salvation through Jesus Christ. It is finished. You contrast that with the words of Buddha, who said to his saints, as recorded his last words to his saints that were following him, said, Strive without ceasing. You see, beloved, Jesus Christ did the work He finished the work, and for you and I, the work's been done. We've got nothing left to accomplish for salvation. Jesus did it for us. He said, it is finished. Contrary to what the Pharisees thought. You see, they thought they finished Christ. But he didn't say that he was finished. He said, it is finished. Beloved, Jesus had just begun the work of Jesus Christ for all eternity to stand at the, sit at the right hand of the Father, to be the mediator between God and man. 
That work was to continue, but the it was finished. The job he had been given. I'm sure that the Pharisees walking away from the cross were clapping each other on the back and all happy and excited. Boy, we finished him. Oh, so glad to be done with him. So glad that this Jesus is no more. My beloved, for three days, even Satan thought he had won. For three days, even Satan thought, boy, finally I finished him. Finally, I had tempted him and he, he rejected me and I offered him the world and he rejected me. But boy, I finished him now. But three days later, he rose again. Three days later, he rose from the grave because, beloved, he didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. Te It is finished. The victory's been won. The battle's over. It is finished. The poet said, it is finished. Yes, indeed. Finished every jot. Sinner, this is all that you need. Tell me, it is not. When he from his lofty throne stooped to do and die, everything was fully done. Hearken to his cry. Weary working, burdened one, Wherefore toil you so? Cease all your doing, for all was done long, long ago. Till to Jesus' work you cling, doing is a deadly thing. Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him alone, graciously complete. You see, beloved, it's not what we do that gets us to heaven. It's what Jesus did. You know, Judas walked with Jesus. Judas took care of the books. Judas was present for all of the miracles and the magnificent things that happened there. And in the end, at the very end, when he cast down that 30 pieces of silver, he could have right then stopped and repented of his sin and turned to Christ and been saved. But he still didn't. He was still relying on what he could do. And he went out and hung himself. Beloved, it's not what we do, it's what Jesus did. Jesus completed the task that God had given him to do. In John 17, verse 4, he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So, beloved, if I was to apply this to us, we know that there is no work that we can do that will earn our way to heaven. That's without question and say that unhesitatingly this morning. But as a believer, as someone who knows Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, after what Christ has done for me, the Bible says the love of Christ constraineth me. It is the fact that he loved me so much to die for me and gave me freely salvation that I look back at him and say, Lord, is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything that you would like for me to do? I mean, uh, what a small thing. What a small thing to try and, I mean, it's in no way can earn or pay what's been given me. And then he looks back and he says, yeah, there's something you can do.
And he's given each of us a task. He's given us responsibilities, things that we are to be doing while we're here on earth. The Apostle Paul knew that. And he strived to accomplish it. But in the end, Paul said, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. But I'm saying, beloved, as you and I have a job to do. And I hope that we, like Christ, at the end of our days can say, it is finished. That we can express words of completion that I did what you gave me to do, God. Because of the finished work of Christ, you and I get the privilege of serving him. J.L. Craft, yes, of the Craft family and the great Craft empire, maker of those wonderful cheeses and, you know, macaroni and cheese and uh, cheddar and mozzarella. That guy was a Christian. J.L. Craft was saved. He knew the Lord as a Savior, and he lived in Chicago, and he attended the North Shore Baptist Church. He served there as a superintendent of the Sunday school. Dr. Criswell, one time visiting from Dallas, paused and talked to him for a little while, and he said to him, he says, Mr. Kraft, how can you, with all of your responsibilities, with all of the millions of dollars that you're in charge of and the vast responsibilities you have in your company to see the progression and all the people that rely on you for work and all that, how is it you would have time to be a Sunday school superintendent and invest in the organization of the church and make sure everything was running smoothly? And he said, oh, Dr. Criswell, God did not save me to make cheese. God saved me for something far more important. Cheese is what I make to pay the bills. This is what I do for God. And he says, God has called me and allowed me to serve here in my church. And this is what is most important. And this is what I do for my Savior. Are you serving your Savior today? I pray that when we reach heaven's shore, that we'll be able to say, it is finished. I did what God gave me to do. I'm going to ask the pianist to come to play us a moment of invitation. Do you have the end in view? Do you have the end in view? Do you know for sure Beloved, you know, for, for you and I, we look at life in our perception sometimes. We look around and, and we see different people. And in our perception, we may think, oh, his end is really close. Or we may look at some of these young people and we say, oh, their end is a long way off. But you know, beloved, we really don't know. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We don't know when our last words are going to be spoken. So I wonder, are you living now with that in view?
when you reach, reach the end, if you have the opportunity to say some last words, what will they be? Will they be words of regret? And please do something about it today while you still can. Will you leave words of challenge to them that are coming after you? Will your life be a testimony to them that's a challenge in and of itself? Will you be able to, like Christ, express the words, it's complete. I've done what you've told me to do.